So what's your podcast about? Superheroes. It's a little geeky, but I think you guys are going to like it. Try not to be too geeky. No, I can't promise that. Should we begin? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. And now, your hosts, Kelsey Dickerson, Brad Fay, Kate Fay, and Noah Berlin. Hold on to your butts. Welcome to the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. My name is Noah Berlin, and I'm back with you to talk about the eye, the Ring of Power's seventh and penultimate episode of season one. Just like my last Geek Peak, a shortened episode of the podcast, not a full one, with just my top five takeaways from this episode, episode seven of Amazon Prime's Ring of Power. Please be careful of spoilers. Obviously, I will be going through the episode, giving my thoughts, my predictions, my opinions, and all that. So if you have not yet seen the episode, of course, maybe watch that before watching or listening to this. But don't worry about spoilers for the finale or anything later on in the series because I have been staying away from all the leaks or whatever it might be. So I'm, again, just giving all of my opinions and my thoughts on this episode. So let's get into it, right? This episode, once again, was called The Eye. It takes place immediately following the events of the previous one. So right after the fallout of the aftermath with the eruption of Mount Doom. Uh, which was crazy to see, of course, in a lot of action in the previous episode. This one kind of slowed the pace down a little bit. But let's do it. Here you are, my top five takeaways from this episode, number seven of Rings of Power. Takeaway number one, just the aftermath and potential plot armor uh, that we might see with some of these characters uh, once all the catastrophe of the eruption takes place. So, First off, the, the episode opens with a shot really close up of Galadriel's eye. It had all kinds of ash on it, and you just see the whole tint of orange and red, which is kind of consistent throughout the episode from all the fire, the ash, the smoke um, leading from the eruption of Mount Doom. It was just unbelievable to see. Uh, the scenics was unbelievable. It made you really feel like you were in a post-apocalyptic environment. And it was just great. Um, I really give a lot of credit to the the visual effects team. A little bit more on that later. But we see a horse on fire. Of course, that was tough to see. Never like to see the animals getting hurt. But the horse on fire, it just really, it, it allowed the viewer to feel like you were in this. And it was chaos everywhere. Just incredible uh, scenics right there. And, and throughout the whole episode, you see Mount Doom in the background. It's still spewing the ash, spewing the fire. Just unbelievable. So we see Galadriel, as we just talked about, the first person she runs into is Theo. Of course, Theo made it out safe. We later see Queen Regent Muriel. We see Isildur and Valendil, who are trying to help the survivors. And it's just chaos. Everyone's screaming. There's a lot of people dead. And so they're trying to save whoever they can. Um, it's actually pretty sad because their other friend, I didn't catch that one's name, just in the last episode, which we should have seen coming, he was talking about, you know what, this is one battle for me. It's it's I don't need to do this any ever again. I'm just gonna basically retire. I'm no I'm no longer a soldier. I just want to live out my life. And of course, that's the one guy that got killed. But um, but so we see that group try to help out the survivors. 
and the roof of a building that they're trying to get people out of collapses on Isildur. We don't see him again, so we're led to believe that he might have died. Of course, that is not going to be the case. And then we see the Queen Regent, Muriel, gets fiery debris in her eye, which uh, ultimately ends up blinding her. She she realizes that she's blinded after that, and she wears a kind of Ninja Turtles um, bandana at some point covering her eyes. But it's really cool if you think about it, because in a previous episode, when she was telling her father, Tal Pelantir, that she was going to Middle Earth and trying to help the Southlanders, he tells her basically, don't go. And all you'll find on Middle Earth is darkness. And considering the fact that she's blind now, he was exactly right with his prophecy. So we we see Hallbrand later. He's not in great shape. Um, they find him on the road and they want to heal him with Elvish me- uh, medicine. So that's where he's going off with uh, Galadriel at the end of the episode. But we see Bronwyn. We're led to believe that she's dead, but she's not. Erendir uh, is fine. So for the most part, every character that um, that we have come to know as important throughout this series so far made it out and survived not a single person died even though so many people died other than that so i'm just kind of wondering you know maybe maybe this is a little plot armor uh you, you never liked seeing a show where everyone you know is going to be okay no matter what happens but i think that was maybe just in this uh instance and and we'll see what happens a little bit later ellen deal was pretty interesting actually because he was very much this whole time on the side of the faithful and wanting to help out and wanting to uh to come to the southlands and He's the first one. He he's really broken up over the fact that Isildur is seemingly dead, and um, and so he's like, our ships are waiting. Let let's get the hell out of here. We need to go back to Numenor and basically never come back. Um, Muriel still makes a pact, gives an oath to Galadriel that they will be back, and she says, "Do not spend your pity on me, Elf. Save it for our enemies, for they do not know what they have begun." So she vows to come back and fight the battle more. So we'll see. But it was kind of funny seeing Ellen Deal turn away from the other people and the, the camera still on him, of course. And he's just crying. He looks all sad. And it just reminded me of that meme with um, Will and Mike from Stranger Things where Will is kind of hiding, looking off, and he's crying. And Mike doesn't know he's crying. And it just, I don't know. It was, it was pretty funny. But anyway, wonder how much this plot armor is going to continue as the series moves on. Takeaway number two. Just the great scenes between Durin the third and Durin the fourth. I think that the dynamic that the father son duo has, it's just so uh, it, it's earned. I think. I mean, they do so well. You see how much love that they have for each other, and the kind of action builds throughout the course of the season. And you see for the first time Elrond the third get really pissed and ultimately strip uh, Durin the fourth of the right to be the prince and the future king of all the dwarves so king durin the the older one the the third he's played by peter mullen who is actually james delos from westworld and i knew i knew that accent i had to look it up and check but good actor and uh, he does really well in this as well but the the scenes with durin in general he's he's my favorite character um the scenes with elrond and durin together honestly they they're just the heart and soul of this show as a whole they play so well off each other between the emotional scenes, between the funny scenes. And it just kind of really, you identify a little bit with these characters. I really enjoy them. But so Elrond is there back in Khazad-dûm trying to make a bargain with the dwarves. And he's pleading to King Durin the third 
for access to this mithril. He believes that the mithril is something that is the only thing that will save the elves' lives, essentially. And he offered 500 years, five centuries worth of game, of grain, and of timber provided to the dwarves in exchange for having access to this mithril. King Durin asked him, why should we trust any elf? And he said, you should not, but you can trust me, for I'm no common elf, but Elrond half-elven. And I see in elves what they cannot see in themselves. That's why I stand before you now alone, pleading for you to save my people. He's just a great character, Elrond is. And yeah, it's cool that he's half-elven. You could see the obvious contrast between him and the rest of the elves. And he just brings so much to the show, particularly with the relationship, as we talked about, uh, with Durin. But King Durin's not going for it. He tells his son that the fate of the elves was decided a long time ago by people far wiser than them. And he's not going to help the elves cheat death at the expense of his own people. He's just not going to do it. Uh, Durin has a nice line, too, where he's just like, Father, my friend is drowning, reaching for me to pull him to shore. You expect me to swat his hand away because you're afraid of a bloody rock fall? And he goes, I'm sorry, son, but our time has come. So obviously that is something that is not okay with the younger Durin, and he still kind of rebels against his father later on, but just good scenes overall there. Takeaway number three, a little confused about the Harfoots and the Stranger uh, in terms of how they fit in. It was nice to see them again. The Harfoots uh, begin the episode, they make it to the Grove, they're still migrating, and you see that these lava rocks from Mount Doom have made it all the way to their migration far away from Mount Doom. And it's had an effect on the whole lands. It's killed the trees. And so the stranger tries to heal these apple trees. Um, there's a moment when they're all watching them. And Sadok's wife says, you know, what, what is he doing? And he's like, I think he's he's talking to the trees so he's, they can understand it. And she says, Sadok, the trees don't talk. And, and he goes, some do. And obviously that was a reference to the Ents that we see later in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, but... The Harfoots, they think he's fixing things. It ends up bringing down part of the tree and putting them in danger. So they kind of, you know, they they give him a little you're not welcome here type look. And he he leaves on his own. But it turns out he actually did heal the whole area. Uh, but they don't realize that again until after he leaves. Now, these new characters we see for the second time, they're called the Mystics. And they don't talk. They don't say anything. And they just look really nefarious. So. We have no idea what they're really trying to do uh, other than the fact that they're searching for the stranger, but they light the whole caravans of the Harfoot on fire, which was a pretty cool effect. It, it looked cool. Um, and they're just being assholes, <laughs> really. So uh, four of the Harfoots, Nori, her friend Poppy, Nori's mom, Goldie, and then Sadok joined them to venture out to find the stranger and warn him of the mystics who are coming after them. So I'm sure we will see some sort of confrontation in the finale, which is next episode. Uh, Sadok has another funny line too. He's like, yeah, I'm coming with you. It, it doesn't matter anyway. We're all going to die, which is kind of funny. But uh, all right, number four, takeaway number four. We really see the imp the importance of the Mithril. Last episode, Elrond is talking about, and, and Galgalad, the, the high king of the elves, talking about Mithril is the only thing that can save them. And as a viewer, I'm just thinking like, I don't understand why they think that this mithril is what will save them. I don't know why they have that idea, but you really see it in this episode where Elrond goes to leave. They have a heartfelt goodbye between Durin and Elrond. Durin throws the mithril, which comes into contact with the leaf that had the blight all over it, and it heals the leaf. So he sees firsthand that this does have healing properties, which could then potentially 
heal the elves and and fix them. So that's what kind of um, who what leads Durin to call Elrond back and to um, to break through and dig and try to find this mithril to help Elrond and the elves out. Obviously, King uh, Durin the Third doesn't like that. He gets pissed. Elrond gets seized. He gets kicked out of Khazad-dûm. And obviously we know about the destruction of Khazad-dûm that takes place later on in the Third Age because of the dwarves' greed. They dig too deep in the mines. And, you know, maybe we see the start of that all because of this mithril. So um, the the scene ends, the episode ends with King Durin throwing the healed leaf from Linden through the hole that was dug by his son, orders his people to cover up the hole, and then we see the end shot of the Balrog waking up, which is really badass. The thing just looks so cool and is such a, an awesome looking evil creature. But I'm wondering, you know, is this the same Balrog that we saw in Fellowship of the Ring? The same one that with the whip that ends up killing Gandalf, um, which, you know, uh, you'd think that he's not coming back at that point, but obviously he does. I wonder if that's that same Balrog or just a coincidence. There's a couple of them down there. I don't know. And my takeaway number five. As always, got to give some MVP and LVP awards out. MVP of this episode, obviously, was Adar. Obviously, right? Everyone, the humans, the elves, the dwarves, all of them are looking bad. The only one that's looking good right now is Adar and the orcs. So his plan succeeded. The Uruk now have a home in what used to be the Southlands. The sun has been blotted out by Mount Doom's ash and smoke and fire, and the orcs, the Uruks, can now wander around in uh, in the sunlight. Or it wouldn't be the sunlight, but in, during the daytime. So um, you see also as he's talking, and he's like, yeah, the this area is not called the Southlands anymore, and it transitions the word on the screen from Southlands to Mordor. Um, that was pretty cool. I think that the fact that they've done transitions throughout the season when the characters travel from place to place and they show the map and all that, it would have been cool since a lot of the, the characters are traveling in this episode if they would have done a similar thing there where on the map it would have shown Southlands and it would have transitioned to Mordor instead of just on the screen. But yeah, again, the the Uruk, they're, they're chanting, Hail Adar, Lord of the Southlands. And he's like, no, that's not a, that's a name of a place that no longer exists. So anyway, Adar is the MVP for me. Honorable mention, as we talked about, is the visual effects team of this episode. It was just really, um, really awesome and just so well done for them. Uh, shockingly, my LVP, as always, is Theo. This kid just sucks. Understandably, he wasn't as bad this episode as he's been in the past. But when in the beginning, when he's um, he's with Galadriel and they're seeing some orcs and and uh, he's like, let's just go kill him. And, and they're like, yeah. Galadriel's like, we have neither the position nor the reinforcement. Like, we need to rally back to the living. This land is all dead. And he lunges. He tries to steal Galadriel's dagger. Like, bro, what are you doing? What, like, what, what how do you think this is going to end? Honestly, though, I wish she would have let him. And he just would have grabbed the dagger, ran out, and gotten murked. Because he, he needs to do that. But he's terrible. And there was no other good uh, options, really, for an LVP this episode. So... The, by default, Theo, obviously the LVP. So that would do it for my five takeaways. I have a couple honorable mentions here of just things that we want to watch out for in the future. First off, uh, Galadriel mentions her husband, Celeborn, uh, who died in battle thousands of years ago, wearing armor that was too big for him. Seems like a little bit of a strange story, and I feel like there's definitely more to it than that. 
either he is still alive and she just doesn't know it, or there's just more of a story behind his death that we'll, I'm sure, find out later. Um, what they talk about when Elrond and and uh, Durin are talking, it was a heartfelt moment, and Durin tells Elrond that the dwarves, they have secret names that they only tell each other, basically, and he wanted to reveal it to Elrond, and it was a cute moment. Elrond told him, just, you know, save that for later for the other side. Um, but I want to know what that is. Um, I want to know what he's going to tell him. And then we also hear the name Pelargil, which is an old Numerian, uh, Numenorian, excuse me, colony. And that's where the humans are going to go from the Southland to get a fresh start. And I believe that is a port city area of Gondor. So you kind of see the start of Gondor taking place, which is pretty cool for the humans. But anyway, that is going to do it for this episode of the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. As always, we will be back recapping every episode of Rings of Power. Next week is going to be the finale of Season 1, as we've talked about House of the Dragon as well. They have two episodes left in Season 1 there. So make sure to hit subscribe, hit the little bell on YouTube to be notified when these episodes drop. Thanks for getting geeky with us. As Elrond told us today, Namarie. It means more than simply farewell. It means go towards goodness. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Geek and You Shall Find podcast, powered by Superhero Faces. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Superhero Faces, and on Instagram at Superhero underscore Faces.